Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Zenium is supporting small and medium-sized organizations for their HR and payroll. Learn more about the HR plus payroll model at zeniumhr.com. I'm excited for today's episode. I brought back one of my favorite guests, Linda Cohen. She is the kindness catalyst, and she's out with a new book called The Economy of Kindness, How Kindness Transforms Your Bottom Line. So we sat down and talked about how kindness needs to be at the forefront of the workplace, and we need to be having conversations about it. So Linda will touch on stories that drive home this idea that kindness affects everybody and everything it touches, including a business's bottom line. You're really going to enjoy this episode with Linda Cohen. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places. I'd love to hear from you and connect with you. Talk to you next week. got a special guest with me today, returning guest, Linda Cohen. Hi, Brandon. Linda, it is such a pleasure to have you back. It's so great to see you, see you and talk to you after all these months. I know, like a lot's happened. I mean, when the pandemic hit, you and I did a webinar together. That was a lot of fun. I think it was something we needed at the time. And and then even since then, I hired your daughter. I know, yay. (laughs) It's awesome. All in the family, right? (laughs) All in the family. You're a great person and she's a great person. It's been a pleasure to work with her. Yeah, for sure. Well, you've got a new book out. It's really exciting. It's called The Economy of Kindness, How Kindness Transforms Your Bottom Line. So exciting. What was the journey like for you in writing this book? You're the kindness catalyst. You talk about kindness all the time. But give me an idea of like, when did you start writing this? What was the genesis of it? What, you know, what played a role? Like what inspired you? Yeah, um, so I've been speaking, but this has actually been my keynote title, The Economy of Kindness, How Kindness Transforms Your Bottom Line for five years. And I've been speaking to businesses and associations about cultivating kindness in the workplace and why it's so important. And, you know, throughout the pandemic, it was clear to me just with everything that was going on that kindness was actually, I mean, I will say in the first couple of months of the pandemic, March to like May, it actually felt more like we were having a kindness pandemic. It really felt like there were so many people reaching out when we were all so uncertain about everything that was happening with the beginning of the pandemic. But as the months went on, it really felt like that shifted and we were back to sort of fear and anxiety and scarcity and overwhelm. And I just felt like it was time for me to put the book together. I have been thinking about doing a book for probably about two or three years, but it's a lot of work. I mean, this is my second book and I knew how hard it was to write the first book, but I will tell you the truth. I sat down December 1st and I started my writing and I had decided, um, you know, not to be afraid of what I wanted to share because I felt like I had a lot to say from all the years of doing this work and it was easier to write it than I thought. I have to say. So I'm excited to just share stories and ideas, you know, that I've heard and that I get to then as the kindness catalyst get to share with other people. So So you started writing this in December December 2020 2020. or is it? You wrote that pretty fast. I know. (laughs) So you made a good point about 
early in the pandemic, because I think it was so new to us and we're like, all of a sudden our lives have been uprooted. A lot of us are working at home and childcare's not available and schools are shut down and stuff like that. I do feel like people came together. I mean, you had like a John Krasinski, good news, some good news. And so I saw like little blips of kindness everywhere and positivity. Me too. And the stories, my first chapter, I think the introduction chapter, I share all the different things that I saw. Because if I Googled kindness in those early months, there were stories on national news, on local news, in neighborhoods and communities. It just felt like everybody was sharing how we were supporting each other. But then right after that, then, I mean, media was fear mongering about the pandemic. You had the George Floyd incident, which like the whole nation of ours in the United States was just out of control. And Rightly so. And then just this pandemic drug on. So I, I do agree with you that it's like it started out with some kindness. And then we sort of regressed back to our old ways. And don't you feel like kindness needs to be injected into not only our workplaces a little bit more, but just society in general? I mean, it's probably why you wrote the book in the first place. 100%. 100%. And you know, the other thing I will tell you, I'm seeing more of it because I'm surrounded by other people who are talking about kindness, working in kindness, speaking, adding it to their speaking work. And many of my speaker colleagues are doing it too. So I sort of feel like I was maybe a little bit ahead of the curve 10 years ago, starting to talk about this. And I'm happy about that. I could say, oh my gosh, I have competition. What I really think is we all need to be doing this. So until the world is the place that I kind of envision it to be where, you know, uh, we live by the golden rule, there's plenty of work for everybody to do. 100%. Yeah. So I had a chance to read the book. Fantastic. I, I personally needed it. I think employers need to pick this up. People at all levels, really. Leaders specifically, because I think this is, you know, they're setting the tone for their cultures and, and whatnot. I want to dive into some things that I just drew out from the book. Uh, one in particular, because we talk about inclusion a lot. And I know that's uh, early on you talk about inclusion. And there's one story in particular, I cannot remember the organization, but I think they were planning like a, a party or an event of some sort. And it happened to fall on like a religious holiday. And you bring up this idea of the workplace inclusivity calendar, which I think is genius, because if you're an, an employer, and you want to be kind to people, and you want to be inclusive, pull out this calendar to make sure that you're not scheduling something overlap over somebody's religious beliefs or whatever may be going on. Talk about that a little bit. Right. Well, I mean, I'm Jewish and I grew up in, you know, we're 3% of the American population. So obviously we live in a world where our holidays are very minor holidays. And over the years, you know, I've applied for a conference or I've been invited to something and it falls on, you know, in the fall on my Jewish high holidays. And when I say something to the meeting planner, you know, I don't know if you happen to know, but this happens to be a Jewish holiday. You know, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, there's no Jewish people in our organization, so it doesn't matter, which is kind of the worst response, but maybe the better response is, oh, I had no idea. And I have gotten this too. Oh, I had no idea. Thank you for letting us know we're going to try to change the date because we do want to be more inclusive. And so when I wrote that chapter, I was excited, you know, I looked up, are there places where all of these important dates for anybody who celebrates a holiday that maybe isn't the majority holiday could be listed so that when you want to be inclusive as an organization and as a manager and a leader, you can make sure you're doing that. So yeah. So thanks for bringing that one up. Yeah, I, lo I love that idea there. You talk about the investment in the soft skills. And, you know, because I think people having the soft skills to, you know, have relationships with people, emotional intelligence, and, and other things like that, 
it helps people be more kind, but I'm curious if you think that employers are making those investments in their people. I really think it depends on the company or the organization, you know, and I think it also depends if there's follow through on it. You know, if you really value um, as a soft skill, the way, um, so the years I've been doing my work on the economy of kindness, I've been in organizations or I'll be in an audience and I'll say, you know, name a company that has a really kind culture that you really love shopping at or going to. And for years I heard, and I know this airs all over the country, Country, but in the Pacific Northwest, we have a company called Les Schwab, which is an a tire company, you know, kind of an auto repair company. And people would always mention that in the in the company, in the in the audiences, because their customer service is just amazing. They love, they run out to your car, they have ads about servicing you, and you know, sometimes they'll help you even if you didn't buy your product from them. So they really had this reputation that they had created about this culture of kindness and how they wanted to greet customers. And reputation is one of the things. I talk about in my program about why kindness is so important in your workplace. Because if your reputation gets affected, that will affect your bottom line. So I love Les Schwab as an example. And you know, when I dug further, I actually didn't know much about Les Schwab when I first started hearing it mentioned. And then I kept hearing it so many times, I, I did some research. And Les Schwab was from the 1980s when he founded this um, organization. He's no longer alive. And actually, the company doesn't belong to the family anymore. They recently sold it. But he wanted to make sure his manager were, you know, fully vested in the organization and their policy for how they paid their managers was, was great. And it was so exciting how he really vested them and, and helped them create nest eggs all over. Well, it started in Bend, Oregon, outside of Bend, and it's all over the Pacific Northwest now. So yeah, I, I love that story because it, it shows that, you know, leadership, the ownership, they're investing in the culture. And there's a certain way we do things at Les Schwab. And there's another example I wanted you to talk about because I thought this is really cool. Uh, the Ritz-Carlton 10-5 way. I love that because it's like you sort of bake this into you know how we're going to treat our customers and it just becomes the way. Talk about that. What is that? So the Ritz-Carlton um, hospitality chain had this idea that they wanted to make sure that everybody, every customer that would come in or client that would come in would be greeted if you were five feet apart. Uh, sorry, if you were 10 feet apart, you'd just wave and, you know, say hello. And if you were within five feet, you would wave. And sorry, I said, I said it wrong. 10 feet apart, you would wave. If you were five feet apart, you would wave and say hello to them. And this became kind of their standard way of, of greeting customers. Well, some healthcare, a healthcare organization uh, picked this up in Louisiana and tried to do this in their healthcare organization and found that, you know, the outliers were like, well, that's like such a nothing kind of thing, but it began to become really a cultural norm in their organization. So that, I guess that's partly what I tried to put into this book and, you know, what I know you want to talk with me about, Brandon, is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a change that costs a lot of money. It's really a cultural opportunity for you and your organization to think about what would elevate the, you know, the inclusivity, the fact that people get seen, that they feel like they're part of a team, that they're part of something bigger. So that when people think about their workplace, it isn't just a workplace. It's really like my extended family. That's the interesting thing, that I'm pulling from your book and just this overall topic of kindness is that it doesn't have to be expensive. I think it's just a, a, I don't know if it's a mental shift or if it's just being aware of how you're treating other people. There is this very enlightening piece of the book that you posed a question within a keynote. I think it was a, with the fire department, if I remember right. And you asked the question, I think it was virtual. So it was in a chat and you said, what holds you back from being kind? 
And I want to know what those responses were like. What kind of like across the board types of responses were you getting to that question? That's pretty powerful. Right. So the fire department, I had, I was hired to speak to a local fire district. So there were about 170 firehouses that were going to, maybe I'm maybe 120 firehouses that were going to be watching. They were all sitting around their tables at, you know, so each little chat room had multiple people and I knew I wanted to have some way to engage them. I was kind of warned ahead of time that this would probably not be an audience that would interact in a big way with me. So I was really nervous. And the makeup of the group t- definitely skewed male. And um, so I was, you know, I was definitely a little nervous. So yeah, I created this question where I had a way for people to use their phones to answer a question, what holds you back from being kind? And I was so excited when it went so well with the fire department that I actually have used it many times since in every virtual platform that I've had the opportunity to speak with. So the the answers were consistent over most of these engagements stress, overwhelm, time. So I would say those were the three that continued to come up all year long. So I would say a big majority answered those. But there were other interesting things. People answered that I knew folks, no introduction, or politics, somebody wrote, or social pressure, masked communication. So I really thought that this was enlightening. And, and every time I do this with an organization, I do share the results with the with the hiring manager. So they have a, an opportunity to maybe do some deeper dives into what it was that may be holding people back from being kind. But I will say, when I asked this question among different organizations, whether it was fire department or credit union or long-term care organizations, time, fatigue, overwhelm were kind of the big, and stress were really the big ones for every organization in 2020 and 21. Oh, I love that. That's good stuff. You know, I, we with culture specifically, I think leaders really set the tone. Like people are always watching. So contributor level employees or new employees, they're they're looking to their leaders for social norms, how we do things at this company. So with that said, how can leaders be more kind? I know that kindness, it doesn't cost money, right? It doesn't have to. What can leaders do? Like, is there some tips that you have that would help leaders that are listening today to be inspired to be more kind in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things. One is being authentic, being vulnerable. I think this year when people shared in a more real way what was going on from the leadership level, I think that connected people in a real humanity way. It kind of took away the levels of leadership and employees. I think communication is essential. I think the communication from leadership needs to be supportive probably two-way, you know, listening a lot about what's going on and also uh, really encouraging employees to share what's going on. I think uh, one thing I heard a lot during the pandemic months was, and we're still in it, I know, who knows what the rest of this pandemic is going to look like, but I think when employees felt that they were respected, given some autonomy to potentially take on, I heard some great stories about employees who they could have been cut, their jobs could have been let go, but instead their uh, manager allowed them to think out of the box and to do something a little different and sort of let them be at the table to talk about how are we going to weather this experience together. That really meant a lot to employees. And then I would also just make sure leaders are doing a lot of self-care and do it publicly and share that with your team. 
you know, because I think that allows your team to also take care of themselves because you are the role model for that. And I think this year, more than ever, the putting the oxygen mask on has to be something we encourage people to do. Yeah, I think you even said with leaders, you know, open communication, vulnerability is huge. I think you talked about, the, it was at Marriott, the the owner of Marriott, I think they were going through, I mean, with the pandemic happening, they were struggling, the, that whole hospitality industry was struggling. And I think because he was going through a battle with cancer and he wanted to go on video, I think, to his entire staff and and just be real about the situation. And I think his board or something said, like, don't, don't do it. And he did it anyways, because I think he's valued the vulnerability and just being real with people because they're, I mean, they're adults. And I thought that was really kind to be, to be open and honest and transparent and vulnerable is kind, in my opinion. For sure. And I had another story in there about a woman in, in England who she was, a, she is a CEO of a healthcare organization. I think it's called Beacon Center. And she was very, she put a post up on LinkedIn, you know, maybe in the spring of 2020 about how difficult this had been as a CEO and how she cried in a Zoom call with a group of CEOs she had been in. And she shared that. And the comments that came on that LinkedIn post were so supportive. And I think it just opened up this possibility that you know, none of us have it together. None of us have ever weathered this kind of an experience. And so being vulnerable and being real helps you be seem like a human and not a robot, you know? So I think that helps you as a leader. I think so too. You know, I think people who are maybe against it, being vulnerable, think maybe kindness is perceived as weakness. What do you think about that statement right there? You think it's, there's some truth to it? I really don't. I mean, I will say 10 years ago when I started speaking about kindness, that was what people always said. Kindness was a weakness. Maybe we didn't have as much data then, but there's so much data now about how you know, doing an act of kindness or, you know, living in that way where you're helping people, it not only helps you internally be, you know, a happier person because it's not all about you anymore. It also helps you decrease your stress and your anxiety and, and elevate your humanity. So I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I think that's kind of an old school comment that kindness is a weakness. And I think these days leaders who are showing kindness and compassion and empathy, I think they're actually rising in, in organizations. Well, so, and kindness plays a role in your reputation. Talk about that. Yes. Yes. Well, your companies, and I give a couple of examples there, you know, there, I'm sure all of your listeners have heard a story about a company that didn't behave in with the utmost kindness. And we don't have the option now that maybe that story will get told to one person because of social media, things can get picked up and, you know, told in to thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. So there, that could affect your bottom line. And I mean, I did, I do share a story in there about Uber when their CEO was asked to leave by their board of directors. And he had a bit of of a you know macho culture image at the time and he definitely ran the company kind of with a stronghold and he got caught on video yelling at an Uber driver and that's when his board of directors asked him to step down and he had you know really grown the company in a big way but they hired another CEO who came in listening he created listening sessions he really wanted to change the culture top down and you know that was that was important to him so and I heard that story from my daughter actually Gabrielle who you know Brandon and it was when she was still in college 
college in Seattle and we were up there. We had often take the train to go up there. And she said, you know, I, I'm not going to use Uber anymore. And so there, she's a college student. I mean, that's a big piece of their market. So how a company handles a situation, you know, obviously is important too, especially when you talk about, you know, people who are on social media and, and see how the company handles it. Hopefully that can help you pull back your reputation. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny when you look at, you know, individuals or even an organization for like reputation around kindness, I think about like the onboarding experience or like, you know, for a new employee, like that's, that's your moment to, to really build a reputation around like, oh, this must be a good good place to work. They treated me good throughout the way, or even an interviewing process, just to be kind to somebody, give them a response or be open with them about it and just treat them with respect and kindness. All of those play into the culture and the reputation of the brand, really. For sure. And whether that person is going to stick around, you know, if you onboard someone, and I know this year and a half where we've had to do it remotely, and it's been a little, a lot more challenging to onboard people. You did it well, Brandon, you did it really well. So I was, you know, so I watched and so I heard, um, but really to be able to onboard someone with a genuine care you are creating a culture and you're and you're having them enter it. I mean, I think about this as well. I think I write about this for long-term care organizations that recruiting talent has been, it's really challenging to get great caregivers and nurses. And, you know, right now the long-term care community where I do a lot of speaking is really, that's a real big issue for them. And so I've, you know, suggested you treat it like you're courting somebody romantic, you know, you go out of your way to do a little bit extra when you're recruiting them, because then you really are teaching them the culture that you're inviting them to be part of. And the same with the onboarding piece. So yeah. Talk about recognition and appreciation inside of an organization. Like how, I mean, that's one of my favorite things is just recognizing people for their good work and just showing appreciation. You have to be very intentional about it though, because some people just go throughout their day, busy, stressed out, burned out, and they and they don't recognize and appreciate other people. So how could we be more intentional about that inside of an organization? And it's so interesting. Some organizations do this so well. They know how to recognize their employees. They have a way that employees can recognize each other. They have a way that leaders can recognize each other. There's an employee of the month. And some organizations just don't do it very well. So I think being intentional about it is really setting up the idea that when you recognize someone for the great work that they're doing or going above and beyond or, you know, or even a team spirit, if that's what you want to grow, then you really need to focus on that. And recognition, I mean, it comes in so many ways. I know I have many examples in, in the book. And I also, I post actively on LinkedIn. Last week, I saw something that, you know, Fred Meyer, a local grocery chain out here did recognizing somebody who'd worked at the company for 50 years, for 35 years and for 20 years. And, and the woman who had worked for 50 years had been in my audience a couple years ago. And I actually knew she had been a long-term employee because I had asked that question. Like anybody in the, in the audience worked at, at the organization for five, years, 10 years, I let people keep their hands up. So I was excited when I saw her picture on the billboard because it allowed me as a community member to see the recognition she was getting and, and reach out to her. I sent her an email. And uh, so I think that when you are thinking, and you have to know that your employee likes that kind of recognition. 
there are definitely employees who would die if they had their picture put up on a billboard, right? That is not how they would want to be recognized. But maybe they would love the little thank you note that the, you know, that the CEO writes or the doctor writes or the manager writes to them, really telling them the kind of work and the, how their effort has really made a difference. So knowing your employees, I think is good. And I know you do an intake form. I know a lot of companies do that when somebody starts with your organization, do an intake form. So you know how your employee would like to be recognized. And that can help you as well for creating ways to do recognition. I think recognition is, you know, it's surprise and delight. It could be a way you do it where you recognize everybody in some fun way. It could be individual recognition. It could be encouraging your, your employees to recognize each other. So it's one of my favorite subjects too, Brandon. So <laughs> if, you know, people are listening and they're, they're thinking, gosh, I wish I could, you know, help create a culture of kindness uh, and have it maybe catch on, you know, how could they become a catalyst for a culture of kindness? I think you would want to sit down and consider what kind of culture do you want to create and where are we now and what are the steps that we could take to get to that culture? Would it be that we need to start recognizing our staff more? Would it be that we need to sit down and invite people to consider how together we can create more of a, of a family culture? I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but definitely could create a little kindness committee. I think I heard recently it's called a sunshine committee for one organization that I spoke to, but you know, ways you could sprinkle this idea of, of kindness within the workplace. Now, if you have issues with inclusivity, diversity, equity, that may be a whole other conversation. And I do write about that a teeny little bit in the book, but that is a whole other, you know, harassment. All of that stuff is not necessarily my invitation, right, in terms of kindness, but I think it all feeds together. So I think you need to, you know, look at where you are, take a real honest look at where you are and take a look at what your company is right now and make the decision that you want to move it forward in some way. And then I'm happy to talk to people if they want to talk about how to, how to put those ideas into action. That's great. Let's wrap up with this. Our society's in a weird spot right now. Do you think we're more kind than we were a couple years ago, less kind, where are we at? And how does kindness really play a role in, in getting our society kind of, you know, culturally, uh, our families, our workplaces, how do we get us, you know, in a spot that you would probably imagine as a, a great place to be? That's such a hard question because I don't know that I feel we are any different than we were a few years ago, but if you listen to what the news shares and what social media looks like, then you will think 100% fear, stress, anxiety is filling our world. But I know in the work that I do and working with companies that there is kindness happening every single day. Like you mentioned John Kaczynski, some good news. You know, I hear stories every day about people doing kind things. And I think people say, oh, I, it gives me hope and humanity because I heard that kind story. So I know that it's happening. I just don't think it's what people focus on. I feel like we need to uh, get back to seeing another person as a person different from us, but still a human who probably wants to be safe and be healthy and, you know, live their life with ease. And maybe we can be a little less judgmental and opinionated with each other, whether that's our coworkers, our, you know, our friends in other places, you know, it's, it's hard. It has become, I think it's become divisive, but I do also think, I hate to say it, I think media has played a role in that. And, oh, 100%. Um, social media, social media too, because people can hide behind their yes, yes. 
avatar or whatever, you know? So, so I would say, I mean, one of the things I, I have turned down my media diet, and that is something I encourage every audience I speak to, you know, if you have a media diet that is like consuming media all day long, burn it down. You know, you can sip it. You don't have to gulp it. There are other channels of places you can, you know, listen to classical music, jazz music. You don't have to have news playing in your head all day long, and nor is that healthy for your mental health. And I'll tell you, even with, you know, making my media diet a lot less, you still get the news. You'll still know what's happening out there. You know, it's just, it isn't consuming you. I, I always feel like if, if, if it's important enough, your friends and family will, will tell you. I don't know. That's like kind of borderline digging my head in the sand, but I, you know, your head could go so negative if you just consume that all day long. So I like to consume things that make me happier. <laughs> 100%. And I will say the other thing I would say in terms of how we might elevate this is to really think about how our own self-care can be elevated. I think as we make sure our buckets are full individually, we will be able to be a better human, a better person, have more patience with somebody else. And so I think that making sure you're really filling your own bucket and doing self-care, it's not selfish. It's important. I think mental health is is something we need to focus on as we continue to weather this pandemic and get into this next chapter, whatever it's going to look like at some point. So I liked what you just said there, because that sort of the theme for this entire topic of, of kindness is like, it kind of starts with yourself, like being aware of how you're feeling. And if you're feeling like crap, you're probably going to treat others like crap too. Go, it goes back to the question you asked in your fire department group, and they said they're stressed out, they're burned out, they're unhappy, what, whatever the things may be. And that's why they choose not to be kind, is they're feeling down. And if we can lift ourselves up, it's likely we're going to treat others with kindness and respect a lot. Right. And, and I would say like one big thing you could do is just at the end of every day or at the beginning of the day, Think about what are you grateful for? I mean, so many things this past year and a half have been out of our control. But if we think about what am I grateful for today, there's got to be something you're grateful for. And if you do that as a practice, maybe you're starting your day with gratitude versus the news versus what's wrong in the world versus everybody else is terrible and isn't doing what I want them to do, right? I mean, that's a totally different mindset than what am I really grateful for right now? And, and you know, if you're healthy right now and you are doing okay, that could be the biggest thing for you to say. So I do think it starts with individuals. And I would say, you know, because of the pandemic, people are overwhelmed and stressed and exhausted. And so um, in any way that I can provide a little idea of a thought to start with yourself so that then you can give to other people, I think that's an important message. I love it. Well, I appreciate you bringing this topic to everybody. This, uh, the the topic of kindness is so important. So I love the work that you're doing. Keep up the amazing work. Where should people go to connect with you and even learn more about your books or anything like that? Yeah, that's great. Um, so my website is lindacohenconsulting.com. So they can find me there. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Um, also, I'm really active on LinkedIn, uh, Linda M. Cohen. I'd love to connect there because I try to share good news every day or every few days. And, you know, I love to share ideas and stories that I hear. And I'm really lucky because people send them to me too. So once you become the kindness catalyst, you start hearing them, which again, helps me share them with everybody else. So Linda Cohen Consulting, I'd love to connect with any of your listeners. Linda, it's been a pleasure and it was good to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. Awesome.